I have really loved, uh, enjoyed my um, friendship with Steve Polk for, uh, gosh, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that. Uh, on again, off again. He's one of those friends that I get to only see every, you know, every couple of years or so. And you get to reconnect with and do ministry with. And and then when he came here, got me connected to you guys during, um, during COVID, did some parenting sessions with you, and then came and taught here last year as well and did kind of a mini parent conference on a Sunday afternoon and taught in your services. And, um, you know, last last time I was here, does anyone, anyone remember me from last time, by the way? Make me feel affirmed. Okay, thank you. Um, make me feel loved. And so, um, you know, last time I was here, we talked about... Um, uh, we, we talked about the reality. I, I said that if I got to come back here at some point in time, the, there would probably be some of us that were not here. You know, that because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And, and my, my kids are always like, Dad, why do you have to talk about such hard stuff? You know, and like, well, it's, it's reality, you know. And, and um, you know, a lot has changed in the last year. And, um, you know, both of my kids are adulting now, like fully adulting. Uh, like they're off of my phone, my phone plan. Like to me, that means you're adulting, you know. And, and now my daughter, she, she's a high school English teacher now. She's 22 and got hired right out of college. I, she's like, Dad, I can't even wear jeans to school because I look like them. I'm like, I know. I, yeah, you look like you're 15, you know, teaching high schoolers. And um, But uh, she's pretty amazing. She calls me at least once a month. I mean, like we talk. She goes to our house every week because we live in the same city. But at least once a month, she'll either text me or call me and be like, do you know how much toothpaste costs? Like, yeah, I do. Yeah, because now you're buying it on your own and I don't buy it for you, you know? And uh, changed her oil, yeah, last month. And I, she couldn't, our kids couldn't get their driver's license unless they knew how to change the oil first and change the tire. But now she's like actually buying the oil, you know? And she still brings it to me to change, but she goes to buy it. She's like, do you know how much this costs? I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah, for years I've been buying it for you. And uh, anyway, so that's happening. And my son is um, a uh, writing curriculum for a grant program with inner city kids in Memphis. And it's just amazing seeing him come into his own as well. And uh, it's just wild, all the changes that have happened. And um, I know some of you may see my hand. Um, I I still travel, you know, full-time speaking. And now I have uh, teenagers usually like middle schoolers that will come up to me and go th- say things like, hey, what's wrong with your hand? And I want to go, hey, what's wrong with your manners? You know? Um, and uh, I actually had a man come up to me and said, it looks like you have a hook. I'm like, is that supposed to like make me feel good or something? Like, like you do realize I do see it. Like, I am self-conscious of it. Yeah? And um, uh, so last May, I was, um, we have several investment properties that my family owns besides uh, doing family ministry, and um, I was uh, told my wife I was going to go measure one of the new houses. It was up on the mountain, the last house up on the top of the mountain. I didn't even know the address; I just knew where it was. And so I said, "I'm going to be out at the new house doing some measurements." I'm walking around outside with my tape measure by myself on a dewy morning, and I'm very sure-footed. I do lots of rock climbing, backpacking, spelunking, all that kind of stuff. But I walk around with the tape measure, looking at the house, and um, in the tall weeds. Well, was a piece of uh, tempered, broken tempered glass that was sticking up. And, uh, and I, all I knew is I was on the ground and I, I jumped back up and then I knew it was bad uh, because I slipped on the glass and I cut through um, the artery and the ligament, the nerves, uh, like it was, it was just hanging there. 
And so I immediately grab my arm and start putting pressure on it. And my two thoughts were, okay, stay calm and don't get your heart rate up because I don't want to pass out. If I pass out, I'm, I'm done. Uh, I will die right here on this mountain in the next 10 minutes. And then my next thought was, I have three minutes. I have three minutes to get off this mountain and get help. Because I can't, I can't, I couldn't use a phone. I couldn't do anything. It's just, you know, I'm holding this. And so, I got in the work truck uh, to go down the mountain, and um, I had to take my hand off of the artery to put the trucking gear. And then the insurance company was like, it looked like someone got murdered in your car. I mean, it, it was, they had to rip out everything, you know, dashboard, ceiling, seats, everything. And um, I, I started driving down the mountain with my knee. And, uh, and I intentionally pulled out in front of traffic because I had to get someone to stop to help. And uh, this woman saw me and I just said, call 911. And then I, I'm going to lay down the side of the road here. And an elderly gentleman stopped and said, what do you need? I said, take my boot off and tie my sock as tight as you can around my arm. And another gentleman ran up and I said, will you just hold my arm up, up, you know, up above my head and, um, and just squeeze really hard right here. And so now it's kind of like, you know, two tourniquets, you know. And then he was able to open my phone and called my wife and called 911 and or the lady called 911 and then now I've got about three minutes of just quietness to lay down in the grass and just try to stay calm and in the three minutes I I just thought you know God I this is bad I mean this is like life-threatening you know like this could be my last day I don't want it to be I hope it's not and I thought, you know what, God, but if it is, I'm okay. Like I've said, I remember thinking to myself, I've said everything to my son and daughter that I need to say. There is nothing left unsaid. They know the truth of who I am and how I love them, what I hope for them. They know the truth of who God is, who he is in them, what he's doing in them. I don't want this to be my day, but if it is, I, I know I've I've done what I'm supposed to do, God. And and, and I, I'm grateful that it wasn't the last day and I get to be here. But um, you know, Steve could ask me to come back next year, and guess what I will talk about next year? I will talk about the same thing. I will talk about family and that your days are dumbered. And that are you gonna use your time well with the time that you have? I know maybe I'm supposed to tell jokes when I first get up here and instead of jump straight to the gory stuff, but um, I, I hope you'll hang with me this morning as we talk about this and look at our families and what it is that God may want to be doing in your family and even in your life as a student this morning, as a young person this morning. Um, I, I believe that God has a purpose for your family. They, he has a purpose, a plan. He wants to do something in your life as a middle school or a high school or a college young adult if we will allow him right now. Uh, this morning, I want us to look at a story from one of the forefathers of our faith, and um, he, he 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 led God's people out of this Egypt experience in captivity, and and he he they got to the Red Sea, and God split the sea, and they went across on dry land, uh, but then they forgot who God was, and so God said, "I tell you what, we're going to have to do uh, a new thing and a uh, Plan B, and Plan B is that um, uh, you don't get to come in the Promised Land right now, and instead, you parents and grandparents, I'm going to let you die, and for the next 40 years, you're." kids are going to wander around in the wilderness relearning how to know me, relearning how to depend on me, and, and um, relearning the understanding that I am the one true God. And, and so you know I'm talking about, of course, yes? Yeah, because a lot of you guys are professional Christians like me. Yeah, you grew up in church your whole life. 
Yeah, like all she has to do is say Jesus paid it all and you immediately can start singing the whole song. Yeah, like the classic version of it, by the way, because you, you grew up in church your whole life. And so what happens, those of us who have grown up in church our whole life is, you know, Steve gets up here and, and he, he teaches some sermon and he says, hey, open your Bibles this morning this morning to John chapter three. And you go, oh, I, oh yeah, I, I know that story. I've heard that story many times. And so what we do is we, we, we shut off our brain and we close our hearts and, hey, you know what? I'll just play Sudoku for the next 22 minutes. I'll just check the sports scores. Maybe I'll just take a nap. Wake me up in the last song. And then we miss out on maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit wants to show us something different and something that we already, a story that we already knew. Because now, maybe this morning we look at the story and all of a sudden you see something new in it because of where God has you literally today, at this point in your life. Maybe it's a, a new thing that he's been doing in your life the last three months and now this verse, like, bam, it totally makes sense now. And so this morning, I'm just going to ask you this morning as we go through it, just be open to the possibility that God wants to show us something different and new. And so at the end, it is the end of Moses' day. None of us like to imagine the end of our days, but at the end of Moses' day, and you know, if you knew that today was your last day, what would you be doing with it? Because Moses knows that this is his day. What would you be doing if you knew that today was your day? I'm guessing none of us are going to go home and turn on Sports Center. If you knew today's your last day, none of us are planning out our grocery shopping list for next Friday afternoon. If you knew today's your last day, I mean, I'm guessing without even polling the audience, if you knew your, today was your last day, we know what you'd be doing. And it's, you know what? I got, I got to call my grandkids because there's one more thing I need to say. Or, you know, I got, I got to call my, my son and my daughter and we're, we're going to go have lunch because there's, there's one more conversation I need to have. Because when we know that our mortality is on the line, it all comes down to family. From the very beginning of time, God has communicated through man and made in his image. He's communicated through man uh, in the context of family. You know, Adam and Eve in the family. I mean, in the garden. And then, and then he, he, when it comes down to the New Testament and Christ comes and, and he calls us his bride. Like family, it's the beginning, a birth of a new family. The husband and wife, God the father and the bride coming together. And he uses these motifs all throughout time to talk about family. I can't imagine any Sunday that we would get together that we don't talk about family or have an application to family in some context. And so now it's the, it's the last days of Moses, and he gathers the people together. And we're going to be in, in Deuteronomy 6 this morning, but he actually starts off in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. He says, only be careful, be careful, and, and, and watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. But teach them to your children and to who? Okay, this is where you get to be charismatic as a Baptist and talk out loud in church. So he said, teach them to your children and to who? Your grandchildren, your children after them. Now remember, these people, when they left out of Egypt, they were little kids. These people that Moses is talking to. And then, and then what happened is, they grew up to become parents and grandparents, three generations, 
And then Moses says, take these truths of who you know God is from his word as well as what you've experienced and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. He's talking about the potential of five generations of your spiritual family tree that could be impacted if you just choose to share your story. Just take the truths of what God has shown you and share them with your children and your grandchildren. And, and our, our culture, we just don't do multi-generations very well. Like literally the rest of the world still operates on a multi-generational hierarchy when it comes to family, except America. Because in America, you get to be 18, 20, 22, and it's like we're counting the days. Man, let's open the door. Kick you, you know, go on out there, start your life. Come back and see me at the holidays. We'll have lunch every now and then after church on Sunday. You know, and, and, and we, we do life on our own, generation to generation. And we had to train our kids when they were little how to engage with their grandparents because they don't know how. And so we would say to our kids when they get to grandma and grandma's house and Mimi and granddad, we would say, hey, be sure and leave all your screens in the car, okay? You can come get them later after dinner in a couple of hours, but for these first two hours, I just want you to spend some time talking to Mimi and Granddad. And I would say, when you go inside, just say, hey Mimi, what did you guys do at Christmas when you were my age? Hey Granddad, how did you guys celebrate Easter at church when you were my age? And, and I would allow, literally call my mom and dad and I would say, hey listen, I know you're trying to get the potato salad done, but your grandkids are coming in and I want you to share some stories. Because those stories matter. Your story is the most powerful thing that you have at your disposal when it comes to your spiritual arsenal. You know, it, it, meaning that, like, can you, like um, 20 years ago, the dot-com the dot boom happens in, in the year 2000, and all of a sudden the economy shut down. And, and now we have people, you know, two years ago that are scrambling because their careers were shut down. And you're able to say to them, hey, you know what? I know you're struggling. I know you're full of anxiety and fear right now and don't know what's going to happen. But guess what happened to me 20 years ago? I lost my job, my second career. And I began to pray. And, and 18 months later, you know, we began to learn how to trust God and depend on God. And 18 months later, I had a third career that came out of this. And I got to finish out my days at this last career. I mean, it was amazing seeing what God did. Or some couple that you run into at church and at work and they're like, man, my marriage is in tatters. It's done. I'm done. I'm emotionally, relationally done. And you could say, man, I've been there. I know what that feels like. I almost left. And then we just began to pray and the Holy Spirit showed up and did some new thing in our family that we weren't even expecting. Like, I couldn't have done this. What is someone going to say to that? Nuh-uh. Because it's your story. It's the one thing that can't... We could stand up here this morning and we could argue about scripture. We could argue about politics and economics and creation and evolution. But the one thing that no one can argue with is your story. And they need to hear your story. They need to hear your story. Because your story matters. And so Moses, he, he spends the next couple of chapters just reminding them of their story over the last 40 years and how they've come to believe that God really is the one true God. And it comes to this prayer in Deuteronomy 6. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 3. He says this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is... I'm sorry, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It literally says in the Hebrew, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohenu Eka. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And if, if you know a Jewish family today, what they do is, as, a, as Jews back then, and even still today, thousands of years later, they start and end their day by saying this very simple prayer. It's one of the two most important prayers to Jewish people. And they, they, before they get their kids up out of bed, they get them ready for school. Right there at their bedside, they say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Hananu, Adonai, Ka. As a way of saying, God, we believe that you are the one true God, and I'm devoting my family, us to you. We're committing our family to worshiping you today. At the end of the day, throughout the day, they go to the marketplace and their jobs and their schools. And at the end of the day, they get their kids together and they, 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 they put them in bed and they read some Dr. Seuss books and they talk about their school work. And then they pray the Shema over their children one more time. And it's their way of saying, we are beginning and ending our day with the one true God. We are we're bookending our lives in devotion to God. And I look at us today as a culture, us as Christ followers, I think for most of us, we begin and end our day a very different way, with a very different God. It's like the God of narcissism, that we are raising generation after generation of worship of self. And it comes through our technology. We see it in our screens every day. I mean, think about how when the alarm clock goes off, which is, you know, our phones, right? The alarm clock goes off, and what do we do? I mean, we jump on Fox News, CNN, we look at the sports scores, we start, we start scrolling through other people's social media. Why do I scroll through their social media? Hey, to see if they tagged me in their social media, that's why. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, I tell people this all the time when I go to conferences and speak, because they want to put my social media stuff up on the screen, and I will say, hey, you are willing to follow me on social media, and I will love that, but I'm never going to follow you back. Do you know why? Because I don't care what you do on social media. But do you know what I do care about? I care about what you think about me on social media. We all do it. We do. I mean, just think about the things that you post, even as a grown-up. I went to Chili's yesterday and had lunch. You want to see a picture of it? No, thank you. I had lunch myself. Thank you very much. Hey, I was, I was at the Charlotte airport. I saw the basketball team from the university there. Got some pictures way back in the background. You see them? Here's my grandkids. Here's my diplomas. And what do we do? We're constantly posting pictures of ourselves as grown-ups, and we wonder why our children have become technology addicts. Because we've taught them how to worship self. We taught them through our posture, through our demeanor, through the stories as we talk constantly and post about ourselves. And last year, your church bought a resource that we created called Screen Smarts. It's a 53-week online technology course for parents that takes it takes uh, six minutes a week. Every Monday morning, you get a six-minute email that's going to be a, a podcast to listen to, article to read, or a video to watch. Matter of fact, we've added a bunch more video ones just this year. We want to make the whole thing video-based. And so you get to watch a six-minute video and then one action step, like one thing new to help you as a parent or grandparent to navigate technology and to begin to develop a theology of technology for your family and your, your kids and grandkids. So your church, all you gotta do is scan the QR code there or come back to the, uh, the home office, home, home point, home start, home start, go out the hall, go out here, turn right down the hallway. It's the very end down there. They've got these cards here. It says Screen Smarts and right now media on it. You just scan that. It's even got the web address that you can go to if you don't know how to use QR codes, all right? It's free. There's no reason why every one of us in this church shouldn't be signed up. Now, 
I mean, last year we were at 60,000. Now we're at 78,000 parents every Monday morning that are getting these. It's just been amazing. And, And we didn't create it just to have another thing. We did it so that we, as parents and grandparents, can begin to learn to teach the next generation how to use things wisely and responsibly in a way that's honoring of our faith. And so, you know, the, the Jewish people, they start their day with this prayer. And I wonder if tomorrow, when the, your alarm clock goes off, your phone, maybe before we jump out of bed, we just take a minute to just recenter our own hearts to prepare it for what God may have in store for us today, in store for us tomorrow. Well, we're going to look at the crux of our passage here, and there's three points I want to make to us this morning about how we get to leave a spiritual legacy in the lives of our children and grandchildren. And I know I'm speaking primarily to us parents and grandparents, but I recognize there's a lot of students in the room this morning, a lot of middle schoolers, high schoolers. I want to tell you that this message is for you also. These three principles apply to you. Because right now, you are writing the first chapter of what your faith story is going to be. I mean, the first chapter of a book is the most important chapter. It's where you get to meet the main characters. You get to find out the love interest, see about the tension, and decide whether or not you want to read the rest of the book. Did you know the uh, uh, American Library Association says that the average American stops reading a book by page 55? Like all those books we spend thousands of dollars, we don't even read them. We get the first two chapters and we quit. Which really makes me ask this question when it comes to our faith. Teenagers, is your faith story of your life going to be one that people stop reading by page 55? Or will it be a story that that God met you in middle school, in high school, and began to do a different thing in your life than was happening in those around you? That right now you get to begin to write that story through these three principles. Let me just read the whole passage in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9, and then we'll unpackage it together. It says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. These commands today I give you are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and gates. The first principle is this. If you want to leave a spiritual legacy in your life is you have to connect your heart to God's heart first. Before you ever start trying to lead your family, lead your wife and kids, but try to make an impact on your schools, your sports teams. First, you have to connect your heart to God's heart. Moses says it this way in verse four. He says, He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. I love it that he doesn't tell us what that means. He doesn't even tell me how to do it. He just says, love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. He's not being poetic there. He is using poetic language. But it's kind of like when Shakespeare says, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. And I'm like, you never told me the ways. You just use this flowery language. That's kind of the point of this. It's, it's like, um, um, how long have you guys been married? Yeah. 40, 49 years. 48. That's, that's amazing. Isn't that incredible? 48 years. Like, you're, you're doing something, right? I mean, she's letting you sit next to her with your arm around her, right? Exactly. So 40, 48 years ago, you guys stood before some preacher man, and he said, do, do you love this woman? And you said, oh, with all my heart. 
Yes. He had no idea what he was saying, did he? None. Absolutely. Even when he said it, you were like, you really don't get it, do you? You know? But what you were saying to that preacher man and everyone listening was, to the extent that I understand what love is, that's how I feel about this woman. Yes? Now, 48 years later, do, do, you, do you love her? Do you love her differently than 48 years ago? Absolutely. More. That's the point that Moses is making. When Moses says, love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. There's some of you in this room this morning that maybe you heard Steve's message three weeks ago. And you're like, hey, I've never heard the gospel before. That's a pretty cool thing. I like that. Yes, I want that. I want Jesus of redemption in me, paid for my sins. Yes, now I'm a new creation. Then guess what? You get to love him three weeks worth. Because that's all you know so far. And you know what? That's a good thing. Some of you here, you've been faithfully following him for decades, 30, 40, 50 years. Guess what? There's another, there's a different bar of expectation for us because there's a different knowledge level, a different experience level. So Moses' point is this, stop beating yourself up for not knowing enough and not doing enough and just begin to love enough right there where you are with whatever God's given you. Love him, love your kids. Love your grandkids with what you know about who God's love is, right? So connect your heart to God's heart. The second principle is this, if you wanna leave a spiritual legacy, is you have to lead your children and grandchildren to connect their heart to God's heart. You get to lead your classmates to understand who God is and connect their heart to God's heart. Moses says it this way in the very next verse. He says, take these truths, Now that you understand who God is and you're connecting your heart to his heart, and he says, take these truths, and he says, impress them upon your children. That word impress, it literally means to brand or to tattoo something. It means like, it's like if we had, um, if we were to go down to a ranch, you know, outside the city, the city limits here, we went to a ranch and there's a cattleman and he's got 500 new little calves and he takes a branding iron and heats it up red hot and he puts it on the backside of each one of those calves. What does that brand represent? Ownership, exactly. And what that means is from this day forward, he as the owner, he as the caretaker, the shepherd of those young calves determine where it sleeps, where it roams, where it, what it's going to eat, because he is its identity. And Moses' point here is when he says, take these truths and impress them upon your children, is he's saying, talk about the truths of God to such an extent that Jesus becomes their identity. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we like beat our kids up with the Bible or, you know, make it always a bad thing. You know, God can see you. You know, it just means like as God presents opportunity, use his word, use your spiritual experiences to share the truth of who he is so they see themselves rooted in him. Did you know that before the age of 11, over 90% of girls in the United States, 90% are going to go on a diet. Do you know why? Because they're saturated with the culture, over 85% of all the media in a teenage girl's life, that means every website that she scrolls through, every social media that she, she swipes left or right, every fashion magazine she looks at, every billboard in front of her eyes, the TV shows she watches, tells her that she's not tall enough, blonde enough, skinny enough, buxom enough, that the way that God made her is not good enough. 
That instead, hey, you, you need this thing over here. You need this hair color. You need these nails. You need these jeans to somehow now make you, what's the standard? Hot? Really? It's no longer, you know, whatever, uh, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Now it's hot and sexy. And so we wonder why our girls go to diet because they're, they're, they, they are being saturated by the culture that says you, you are not good enough unless you can somehow make your physical body appealing to others. When, when our daughter was born and we brought her home from the hospital, the day she, wa- she we put her in her brand new nursery, there was a plaque over the door that said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I put it there because I knew the kind of stuff that she was going to have to go through as a woman in our culture. I knew from just as a little girl the, the, the mantras that are going to be pumped into her about who she has to be and how she has to look. And I wanted to tell her, you were made with fear. And You know what that means when it says in the Old Testament, when it says in, in, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? It literally made, means made with a sense of awe. You know what that means? What is her name? Kaylee? Kaylin, and this is yours? What that means is that at some point in time, God was knitting her in you. And all of heaven was standing there going, wow, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be a good one. Wow, she looks like you, Daddy. That's what was happening. How dare the culture get to take that away from them? It requires us looking for opportunities to speak into them what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man, so that they find themselves all of a sudden in those situations where some boy is, some 16-year-old saying to your 15-year-old, hey, you know what, I love you and you love me, so we can do this. This is what love is, that in that moment, your daughter can have the wherewithal to say, "Uh uh-uh, I don't need what you're pitching at me, young man, because I know the truth of who I am. I know what it means to be a woman. I know what it means to be loved. When the culture comes to our guys and says, hey, you know what? This is what it means to be a man. Hey, you know what? It's just a website. It's just pictures. Everybody's looking at it. You earned this. You're a man. You deserve this. You can touch what you want to touch. You can look at what you want to look at. You can do whatever you want to do because you're a man. And it's a lie. And it requires us as dads, as moms, to come alongside our young men and help them understand what does it mean to honor, value, and respect women? What does it mean to to show honor to ourselves by what we do with our own bodies and eyes and minds? That's what it means to impress the truths of God upon them so that he, his truths become their identity. He says in the next verse, he says, take these truths. He says, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. When does it sound like Moses is saying we should talk about the truths of God? Yeah, all the time. Again, he doesn't mean every conversation. He just means looking for these teachable moments, these opportunities that come up every day. Just as you walk along the road, as you drive down the streets, today, One of you is going to be driving down 77, is that it? 77 out here with your kids. There's going to be some inappropriate billboard. Mom, you're going to be like, God, please don't let my six-year-old see this. And as you look in the rearview mirror, he's craning his neck to get one last glance. And either you can ignore it and act like it didn't happen, 
Or you can just turn off the radio and have a quick conversation about what does it mean to honor God by what we gaze at with our eyes? What does it mean to take every thought captive and then surrender to him? And you begin to talk to your kids about these things at a young age. You know, you're gonna be, some of you are gonna be home this afternoon. You're gonna be watching television. Dads, maybe watching something sports with your kids. Maybe preseason baseball, soccer, I don't know, football, football, NASCAR. And every commercial is something we shouldn't be looking at or touching, right? And either you can act like we're not seeing it, or maybe you just turn the TV off for a minute and have a conversation. And then turn the game back on. Just those quick, teachable moments to impress truths upon our kids so that we are helping to connect their heart to God as we walk along the way together. The third principle is this. In order to leave a spiritual legacy in our lives is we must model the truths of God to our kids. It's one thing to speak truth. It's a whole nother level, can't we agree? To model it by the way that we're living our own lives. By being able to say to our kids, hey, sweetie, go and spend your money like mom spends her money because I spend my money like Jesus. Hey, go love your classmates the way dad loves our next door neighbors because I love them like Jesus. Go serve your community the way that mom and dad serve because we serve like Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians when he says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Oh, that's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? That really what Paul is saying there to his followers is, I am so connected to the truths of who Jesus in is in me that you can follow me because I'm living just as he lived. And I wonder if we can say that to our kids today. Just come and live like mom and dad because we are living like Jesus. We get to do it by our actions. Look at Paul said, I mean, sorry, look at Moses says in verse 9. <clears throat> He says, take these truths. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I don't have time this morning, and we could do a whole other session just on this verse, explaining the cultural nuances of what he means there when he talks about taking the truths and write them on your foreheads and put them on the gates of your houses. And it was a very cultural thing among Jewish people. But, but the thing I do want you to see in this verse is the figure of speech. He says, tie them, bind them, write them. What form of speech is that? What do we call those? Verbs. Or we call them what words? Action words. Moses is saying here, by the way that you live your life in the marketplace, by the way that you live your life with your, in your neighborhood, by the way that you live your life in the grocery store, in the grandstands, at the games, that's how people will know that Jesus is real. Isn't that what Jesus said in the upper room? One of the last things he said before he left is that people are going to know that you are real. People are going to know, my, my paraphrase here, Jesus is saying to them, people are going to know that I'm legit by the way that you love other people. If you want your kids to believe that Jesus is real, then show them the love of Jesus in the way that you treat them, by the way that you put your hand on them, the way that you look at them, the way that you speak to your kids. They'll begin to understand that Jesus is legit or not or whether or not it's just something that we perform on Sunday mornings, that we get to model it for our kids. I remember 21 years ago, I was doing what, uh, what Polk here does and working at a, a church, working with families. And um, I came home to my wife one day, my kids were three and one. And, um, and I said to my wife, I think I'm done. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's not this. And she said, you should quit. And so I did. 
and she calls it jumping off a cliff. And we've done it three times in our family. And um, matter of fact, she just asked me asked me recently. She was like, "It's been a while since we've jumped off a cliff. Are are, are you like getting ready?" And I was like, "I'll let you know if I do. Uh, I'll drag you with me." Um, anyway, but we jumped off the cliff, and I resigned, and we didn't know what we we're gonna do. And and God began to birth the whole thing of 360 Family, and now I've gotten to go to 47 states and 11 countries, and over 800 churches and schools, and it's been a most an amazing experience that I wouldn't gotten to have had if I had not trusted God and just jumped when he said, will you trust me? And so we did. And, and I remember um, like six months went by and I think I had three speaking engagements. I mean, we're, we're like, okay, God, we can't, we can't make a living like this. What, what, what are we gonna do? And it was the first week of December. Our kids were three and one and we set them down and said, hey guys, this Christmas is gonna be a little bit different. That God is asking us to trust him on this new adventure. And so you're still going to get Christmas gifts from Mimi and Granddad and Grandma and Grandpa, but there's not going to be anything here at our house. Does that make sense? And they were like, oh, yeah. Well, they're three in one. But the thing they don't understand is the shame that Dad feels because it has been drilled into us as parents that as a good American parent, you have a responsibility to provide a bounty for your children at every holiday so they can feel loved. And I'm sitting there going, God, it ain't gonna happen. I can't make it happen. The next day was church. And so we got up and went to church and we came home and there was a giant bag sitting on our front doorstep. We had told no one about this conversation except a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And there was a giant bag on our front doorstep and inside of it was four Christmas gifts for my son and four for my daughter. And because God loves showing off, there was one for me and one for my wife. And I said to our three-year-old and a one-year-old, daddy didn't do this. Santa Claus didn't do this. God did this because he's a good, good father and he will always take care of our family. Dad does not provide for our family. Dad works, and I get rewarded with a with paycheck. When I'm faithful, God is going to be faithful and take care of us. About about seven, eight years later, I was booked to speak at five camps all across the South, Baptist camps across the South. It was the first week of June. We were going to be on the road till the middle of July, and our kids were like 10 and 8. And uh, two, three days before we left, the air conditioner broke on our family minivan. It had like 280,000 miles on it. I mean, it was ready to go. And got a quote, $2,100 to get it fixed. We had less than $1,000 in the bank. We've never had debt. We won't take on debt. And so they're like, we can finance it for you. Nope, we're not gonna take on debt. We're gonna get in this car with no air conditioner for the next six weeks with these kids. And God, we're just gonna trust you. So the very last day of the first camp, this man, we're packing up. And this man walks up to me and says, "Um, hey, my name is Kevin. And um, I volunteer here. And I was walking around the woods this morning having a quiet time with God, but I ended up in the parking lot. And um, is that your van out there? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's our, our family minivan. And he goes, this may sound crazy, but I think God wants you to have my van. And I said, that doesn't sound crazy at all. <laughs> I said, I think you very clearly heard from God. And he was a bank president who volunteered at the camp and every 18 months got a new vehicle. And he's got this this minivan out there with 8,000 miles on it, leather seats, DVD player, electric sliding door. Like I would, $40,000 price tag. 
And we, I walk to his van. He opens the glove box. He hands me the title and he hands me the keys. And I give him my keys to my $280,000 van. I mean, it was crazy. And as we're buckling our kids up, they're like, what are we getting this car for? And I was like, look what God did. God gave us this. Like dad couldn't have done this. God did this. Last story. My daughter, my kids, when they were younger, we were homeschooling because we were trying to raise weirdos. And, and um, my son graduated all through, like homeschooled the whole way and got a college scholarship. So yay, Ron nerds. And, um, but my daughter got to eighth grade and she was like, hey, I'm, um, I'm tired of homeschooling. I like to go to a regular school. And uh, we said, well, what does that mean for you? And she said, I want to go to Evangelical Christian School. It was a private school that's about one mile from our house at the time. At, at that point in time, when she was going, we were going into ninth grade, it was $18,000 a year. And we said, sweetie, if they gave us a 75% scholarship, which they don't, we couldn't pay the rest. You, you know how God has asked us to trust him. And I said, but we can just pray. So here's my... <laughs> Here's my 12-year-old, 13-year-old, every morning for six months in our family prayer time in the mornings. Hey, God, I'm not trying to be selfish, but I really think this would be an opportunity for me. And could you just make this possible for me? I would really like to be able to do this if you could just somehow make this possible. And one day, this man sends me a message on social media and said, hey, my wife and I have heard you teach in about five different churches, and we'd love to be part of what you do um, if you ever have time to meet together. And well, I've been doing this long enough to know that's code for I would like to give you some money. And I said, I can meet you in 20 minutes. And we did. We met at Starbucks and had coffee. And he handed me a five-figure check that was a donation for our nonprofit. And um, that's happened four times, by the way, with four different people. It's insane. And... Um, I, I could stand here for two hours and tell you just ridiculous stories. And, and so I told him some of these stories. And I said, you know, now, you know, the crazy thing is my daughter wants to go to this insanely expensive school. And humanly speaking, it's just not going to happen. But I believe that that's where God wants my kid. That's where she'll be in three months. And he said, I have three grown children, all in their 20s, who are married. All three of them went to that school, kindergarten through graduation. And I know I want to support your ministry, but I would like to do something just for your family. And when I leave here, I'm going to go by the school and I'm going to pay for your daughter's tuition. Every year, for the next four years in June, he would just go by and pay it. I had not even met the man 45 minutes ago. And I went home. Actually, on the way home, I stopped by the school and I got a bumper sticker that says, you know, proud parent of a student. That, you know, and I went home and I gave it to my daughter and she was like, what's this for? And I told her the story and I said, dad could never earn enough for this. I said, but God can because he's a good, good father. I'm telling you, from the time that she's one, we've been telling her he's a good, good father. He takes care of you. You can count on him. You can depend on him. And we've modeled it, not just with our words, we've modeled it with our actions, saying it's not about mom and dad. It's all about him taking care of you. And I know maybe some of you are like, hey, you know what? I prayed for that. It didn't happen to me. You know why? Because that's not your story. That's my story. But you do have a story, a story that God wants to do. He wants to do a different thing, a redeeming thing, a glorious thing in your family, in your life as a teenager, if you'll just let him. We're going we're gonna to end our, our, our time this morning a little bit differently. And um, 
And it's going to be all about us as God's family, multiple families coming together as his family. And as, as the band leads us in, in a worship song of response this morning, I'm going to ask that maybe, maybe some of you as moms or dads or grandparents, that so you want to come and just use this altar as, just this, as a symbolic altar just to come and pray 